time where the phone never stops ringing. Cold calls and spam emails seem to pour in endlessly. And there is always someone that wants to buy you lunch for the chance to make you a client. This is where real salespeople pitch solutions to real problems while we snuff out the BS. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast with your host, Voron Spivak. So welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast. It's another beautiful day. I'm in the Churrasco's restaurant here in Sugarland. The lake is right behind me. You know, this is one of those places where every time I tell someone, meet me at Churrasco's, they think it's a Brazilian steakhouse. This is not a Brazilian steakhouse. They have like crazy good things on this menu. The steak is crazy good. I always order the Churrasco. If you've never had it, like this is the thing to try. And if you're like me, you're going to go crazy over the plantain chips, the chimchurri. It's just beautiful. And you know what? It's really not that crazy to come here for lunch. I mean, we do it all the time. So I want to send a special thank you to Churrasco's, our friends. If you're even wondering if the food is great, I just have to add this in because I think it's important. They're the official caterer for the Houston Texans. So kapow. Our listeners need to be tuned in because I don't know when J.J. Watt's going to make it here, but I'm sure it happens all the time. So today, I'm going to kick this thing off. Today, my guest is Michael Dowdy. Mike is the Vice President of Sales at Technip FMC. There are many reasons why this episode today is going to be critical. We're going to dive into what is really possible in terms of this company's impact on the oil and ga gas industry, from claims of lowering carbon footprints to reducing environmental risk, human risk, and all while optimizing equipment systems. So this is a, a lot to cover. It's going to be a fast-paced pitch that's going to happen here. Mike, I'm happy you're here. Appreciate it. I want to say, like, there's a robust offering you guys have for the oil and gas industry. Definitely. Yeah. So Technip FMC, 2017, January of 2017, Legacy Technip and Legacy FMC Technologies merged. And really over the past three and a half years, we've been just integrating technologies from the two legacy companies And that's really what the culmination of what we have to talk about today is. It's an integration and it's an incorporation of legacy technologies from Technip and some of the equipment and manufacturing expertises that we had in FMC technology. So, so I want to just kind of, before we get it really started, I know we have a lot to talk about, but let's go into this merger a little bit more because what was interesting about in our pre-call, what you talked about was this company went back almost 100 years and they have a lot of patents. Yes. It's a, you know, you are in equipment manufacturing. Correct. And one of the things about what I've learned is that as you guys made this merger and created, the, like now there's this technology behind what you do. Right. That you guys have actually, or you're now using some like tried and true methods right. that are used in the oil and gas industry. You're using them in new ways. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so the innovation of what we're doing, it's, it's not a reinvention of the wheel. It's really just a disruption of how the wheel is made. It's kind of putting the Legos in different order, right? And what we're really trying to do is create efficiency in the process, right? So from a very early stage in the design phase of these production facilities, we get engaged with the customers and we try and integrate that new technology all while still operationally, it performs to the same standard that it has for you know 50 to 100 years, right? Conventionally. So as a company, That's the intent. That's the objective. It's an integration of 
you know, planning, design, pre-engineered systems, and then some proprietary technology that is kind of new, but it isn't revolutionary in terms of the way that you would mm -hmm. look at a field. So it helps achieve what the customers are really looking for. And that's where we started. We started this project, it's called iProduction. We started the iProduction project in, in business about six months ago. Great time to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it pans out perfectly because what we're seeking to solve are some of the problems that the customers are having and our clients are having in the, in the industry. Obviously, one of which is maintaining profitability, mm. right? Commodity prices right now being so volatile with oil and, and the price of oil and really human capital is mm -hmm. a major piece of that. How do we get people out of the field? How is all that affected by the greenhouse gas emissions that you mentioned? And capital efficiency, I mean, you know, back to, back to the profitability piece, but it's how do you maintain operations? How do you do it effectively through your capital efficiency? How can you all at the same time get people out of the field and don't hurt the environment while you're doing it, right? So pretty big problems that all of the oil and gas operators are faced with right now in the unconventional space in, mm -hmm. in North America and in the conventional space, but that's what we seek to solve. That's what we're doing. And, th and that is going to be something I want to dive into because this whole idea of human capital and all the different benefits that comes with removing that. And, and it's not like, poof, these people are gone. You guys, I can't wait to get into how you're changing right. how their work is being done. That's right. Before we get into it, though, I got to just ask you, like, who are we going to be talking to directly? Sure. Who are your prospects, your customers? Who are the people that when we get into this, they're going to go like, holy crap, this right. is the most amazing thing. I need to talk to these sure. guys. I mean, it's, so it's every oil and gas operator. We are specifically targeting and what our approach is for currently is really around the North American unconventional space, so shale. But it's really on the production side in the facilities and the asset management side, right? So it's not drilling, it's not completions, it's post those things and it's around the facilities, it's around the infrastructure and how they design their facilities and how they optimize those, right? Mm. How they digitize those, which you wanna get into about yes. human capital yes. and, and how we thread all that together through an integration, through a process, very well-defined process that we feel confident based on some deliverables that we've already been able to achieve for some customers. So a major, a major operator in the Permian Basin, actually, we've already piloted this as a base case with, mm -hmm. and we've achieved some pretty significant savings and some significant time improvements mm -hmm. and some greenhouse gas emissions reductions as well. So pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. So let's kind of like dive into the human capital part. So there is liability that's associated with having all these employees in the field there's a, i mean even even just the commute that they're driving on the highways exactly. and the and the capital it takes to make that happen walk me through it like let's take a deep dive into that sure. because it's really not something that's really top of mind for a lot it's, of us it's it's not i mean it's not talked about as often you know I, I don't know if you've ever been to the permian basin but i go often and before the before the travel restrictions were in place i was going probably once a month and I have been for the last six or seven years. And really since the boom of the Permian over that mm -hmm. time period. And what's transpired and evolved is that the highways themselves, quite literally, are actually some of the most dangerous highways to travel on in the world, mm. globally, right? It's just very, very congested, mm -hmm. right? It's overpopulated for the amount of people that are there. And there, it's just constant traffic, right? There's people out there all day, every day, all night, every night. 
And what you see is, is you put your most important asset at risk, mm-hmm. right? And so how we're doing that from the frequency standpoint of getting people off of site and out of off location, we're reducing that frequency by digitizing the facilities, right? We're adding a digital footprint and a digital twin, right? Through our digital platform integrated into these facilities and these sites. And so remote access into your well sites, remote control, right? So you can Mm -hmm. actually control your and automate your equipment. That's all super important. And And that is how we are enabling our partners to be able to remove their human capital out of these risky environments, right? And get them off location as frequently. Another thing about it is with that, we can also improve the efficiency of the equipment. And so we don't expect for performance to go down in terms of equipment. In fact, we expect performance to go up because Mm. when you integrate digitally, you can preemptively and preventatively include maintenance schedules, right? You can include things like artificial intelligence and machine learning into this, this technology that really allows you to see all of this remotely. So it's similar to where our brothers and sisters were, you know, 10, 15 years ago into the subsea space where you obviously couldn't go to the seafloor, right? You'd have to be able to remotely monitor and remotely access all of that equipment from, from the ocean and from, from a boat or from a vessel. And that's what we intend to do here is you can actually do all of those things from a command center, either in Houston or in Midland, without having to send a guy in a truck out to location every day or every other day to get the same information. I just can't help but think of like NASA and mission control. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the industry as a whole is a bit behind in terms of the adoption of this type of technology. But we all recognize that it's a super important piece of it because of not only the human capital, but it it definitely adds a layer of technology that we just haven't always been the first to adopt in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, it's almost like what you're saying is that the way business is now without really diving into this, is it's like sending 50 astronauts up into space so that somebody can like be the navigator and all these other like little computer based jobs that people are having down on earth, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, we're we're not meaning to say that you should remove these people. It's to remove them from the well sites where that risk is a great exposure, right? And so it's an HSE, it's an HSE impact that we intend to help improve. But to your point on the on the revolutionary piece and the innovation, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't realize that, you know, 15 years ago, we didn't have iPhones. They don't think about that. <laughs> so you think about when you wanted to go to Churrasco's and you lived in Cypress, Texas or in downtown Houston, you'd have to look it up in the yellow pages or you'd have to, uh, you know, you'd have to call a friend and try and get directions. Well, how would you call your friend? You'd have to either know their number or you'd have to have it stored somewhere written down, right? You didn't have all that with the access just in Mm -hmm. your pocket, right? It's the same thing of being able to look up a website. So revolutionary and innovative types of technologies that integrate a lot of different things are not new, obviously, but they are somewhat new into the oil and gas space. And that's what we're doing. We're integrating a lot of these various technologies that are already out there. And in fact, in our portfolio currently, we're just bringing them all together. Nice. We're integrating them all together. So Lyndon, let's get into equipment. I mean, one of the things that I learned is that basically your findings are that a lot of these companies have oversized equipment, they have too much equipment, and when they engage with you, you guys are actually making them more efficient, 
it becomes like a real strategy for how they can kind of reduce expenses. That's right. So we reduced the plot size by 58%. Wow. The amount of modules on location by 60%. The footprint size reduction itself equals about a 25% CapEx savings. So cap- I, I got to stop you just because, I mean, these numbers that you're talking about, it basically means people are buying double what they really need. Or is that, am I hearing you? No, right? that's correct. So that's one of the problems we, when we paneled the customers, right? So this is a year and a half in development. And as a, as I mentioned, we have just launched this commercially, but from December of 2018 to really December of 2019, we were in discovery mode. And when we were discovering this, we went out to the market and we said, what are the main problems you're having in this production space? Mm. And capital inefficiency based on initial production rates versus where they were a year later, they weren't right-sized <laughs> facilities. So they were really just too big for the amount of production they would be getting six to, to nine to 12 months later. And so what we've done is we've, we've literally looked at the plot sizes. We've, we've looked at the designs. And we get in early with these customers and we say, you know, there could be better ways to be designing this. Sure. Here are some technologies and some solutions that may yield better capital results Mm -hmm. and obviously footprint reduction. So, yeah, it's it's real. It's definitely real. And it's again, it's just an integration of technologies that we have within our portfolio that now we're bringing all together. Well, Mike, it's pretty incredible. I mean, we're covering a lot of stuff here, but when it comes to money, right? We got profitability and that ties into so much about what we're talking about. Of course. Can we take a dive into that? Like when you're meeting someone, you're going to their company, you know, what is it that you just end up, you can't help but almost amaze yourself when you're meeting these people? Right. Well, again, I think it's back to what we were talking about. It's a revolutionary and innovative way to approach it is really Mm -hmm. what it is. It's, It's tying in those same technologies. So as I mentioned, in late 2018, we went through a discovery process with a major operator, a major oil and gas operator in the Permian Basin. Mm -hmm. And what we did is we sat down in a very methodical process with them on how they were designing their facilities at that point. Mm -hmm. And so through a, a series of engagements, we came to a final design where we said, we're gonna set up some goals of what we wanna do here. We wanna go out and we wanna achieve 25% CapEx reduction. We want to achieve 15% OpEx reduction, operational expenditure. We want to achieve 30% cycle time reduction, Hmm. meaning they can get to their oil 30% faster in terms of weeks. Wow. And then the carbon emissions, we wanted to reduce by 50%. And so that was in December of 2018. We delivered that project in December of 2019. And so that's our pilot, that's our base case. And we did in fact achieve every single one of those and in fact surpassed some of those as well on the cycle time as well as the the emissions. So in terms of profitability, I know it sounds maybe a little crazy, but- But doesn't that work against you? Like when things are too good to be true, people sure. immediately go like, no, that can't be, you know, can't do it. It's like, even in my world, you know, sometimes, if the insurance price is too low, people are going like, it can't be a good company. Like what they think of all these right. cockamamie ideas sure. of why it's well, not real. You know, and to be fair, that was one customer specific example of mm-hmm. where they were to where we got them to mm-hmm. and how we helped them get there. That may not be the same achievement and objectives that we can set for everyone, 
But in terms of efficiency gains and things like that, we definitely are very confident that we can do that. The other is I don't lead with that. Yes. I don't want to scare yeah. him by, by making him think that's, that sounds crazy. So, no, the process is absolutely we just need to be involved at an early stage. And really what we do is we do a comparative study. Right. We do almost like what we consider in subsea a feed, right? Mm-hmm. A front end engineering and, and design phase where we, we sit down with the customer and the client and we say, What are you doing today? How can we help you improve on that? And what are your objectives? What are your goals as a as a corporation? What do you want to achieve in unmanned operations? How many hours do you want to remove out of the field? How can we help improve the carbon emissions, right? Mm-hmm. And then obviously the profitability from a footprint and from an actual hardware equipment standpoint as well. So, so when it comes to early stage, you mentioned like what what is early stage? What's that definition of that? Yeah, so I mean, feed is truly front end engineering design phase, right? So that is where we would engage with a customer and say, this is our process. This is what we've done for other customers. Let us take a look at your facilities, your production facilities design, and let us compare it to what we maybe can do with our technology and how we integrate that technology in that deployment. The other piece that we are finding that customers are really are intrigued by is how can they reduce risk and interface? Mm -hmm. So when we do that feed with the customers on the production facility side, The next step is if we are are fortunate to be granted an award on that project, what we would then do is just go into a full integrated project scope, meaning we would take that project and it would be turnkey. You would only deal with Technip FMC and we would run your entire onshore facilities project for you from start to finish, end to end. We call that integrated engineering, procurement, construction, and installation, IEPCI. Mm-hmm. And that's not a new model. We've actually been doing that from a commercial and execution model on the subsea side for some years now. Mm-hmm. We've had great success with that. Our customers love that model. It reduces risk for them. It's fewer amount of interfaces, obviously. We are now simply just bringing that into the onshore unconventional space and we're scoping it for that application. Incredible. And it also means that from a designing standpoint, it could be so early that you guys are actually assisting people with the full design. For sure. And it's scalable. Absolutely. And what about size? Like, is there something, is there some kind of limitation on what's too big, what's too small? No. And, and that's back to the 2017 merger. I mean, from our end, Technip and both FMC, we were used to doing huge projects, right, on the subsea spot side. We have that competency and that horsepower, that engineering horsepower in-house currently. A lot of those folks actually work in our surface division now, which is where mm-hmm. we're at. But, you know, to be honest, no project is too big. We have done throughout, you know, globally, internationally, as a corporation, we've done some of the largest projects ever in, in our entire industry. So LNG facilities and just major, major milestones within the industry in terms of scope and size. So U.S. unconventionals is we're not scared. We're, we're good. And you mentioned like going back to the human capital thing. I just because I, it's really hard for me to visualize this. But here you have all these bodies that are out there in the field or doing their whatever their job is, per se. What is it about your implementation that removes that? Like, where is the risk reduction and what is the consequence to the company? Like, for an example, is it like there could be people listening that are going like, that sounds really good, but there's got to be reasons why I would never do this. Well, I think we can all recognize that status quo in oil and gas in terms of profitability 
and in terms of the way that we've been operating these fields for years and decades even, it's not necessarily the best way to do it, right? And so a disruptive type of technology or a disruptive type of commercial or execution model is sometimes necessary to achieve the end result, right? For the betterment of the organization. Now we don't intend to remove people again out of the field. What we wanna do is we just wanna remove them from the site frequency, from the actual exposed risks that they go out to location and experience. We wanna get them off the highways. Mm -hmm. We don't want them driving those roads in West Texas, right? And these aren't things that are coming from us. These are solutions that we're coming up with because of the customers, because of the clients and what they tell us. These mm -hmm. are the things that they want. Mm -hmm. And so the digital interface, the digital platform, our UCOS platform that we have integrated into these facilities is really how we are enabling the customers to remove, remove site frequency and remove people from location unmanned operations, remote access into these well sites and control and automation of those well sites. It's, it's a critical piece to this. And it's the vision, it's really the vision of our product and our, our platform, our is, solution here. Is there a setback in transitioning? Like, is there some kind of like, hey, be prepared. This takes like a month to get everybody trained to do this. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, it's just like anything you would experience from a digital user interface standpoint. Yeah, there's definitely some learning and some learning curve. But what we found is, I believe, I wanna say we have some 12 different user interfaces no, 15 different user interfaces currently today on particular products, right? Mm -hmm. And so out of those 15, we would be there initially for the onboarding, for the learning process at the, at the early stage with the customer to help them really get a good idea of how to utilize this tool, because mm -hmm. that's what it is. Mm -hmm. But eventually it should be a handover process where we are just simply there to maintain and upgrade those applications. It's just like you have an app on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. We're gonna be in the background updating that software and updating that application, and you'll know about it and there's maintenance to that. But as far as you being able to utilize that tool, it shouldn't be any any more challenging than, than operating your, your modern technology for any consumer base. And where are the employees when they're doing this? Is it like, are they at home in their bathroom? They could be anywhere. You could be, <laughs> we could be at Churrasco's at the, at the bar getting a beer, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You could literally remote into and access a well site facility from, from wherever you had your handheld device. Well, I feel like if we made this something where the listener could vote, we'd get a lot of votes for, uh, yeah, let's all work in our bathrobe at yeah. Roscoe's. Right? Well, and so that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think a good example of why this is even more important is right now, right? Although oil and gas was an essential service, I mean, we wanted to remove travel as much as possible just because of the COVID-19. And mm -hmm. so, you know, being able to remote in digitally and being able to see and maintain the operational performance of your assets, your investments as an operator is pretty big. And so that's what we want to enable the customers to be able to do. So let's get into the environment, greenhouse gases. I mean, this is for a lot of us, this is a growing importance. And we've, I mean, I think the oil and gas industry has done a really good job to kind of put this to the front of the mind. So what is the impact on greenhouse gases and the environment and, and the benefits of engaging with you? So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's elective emissions and then there's fugitive emissions, right? And so by getting into the early stages into that front end engineering and design phase, what we've been able to achieve for the, the customers so far is complete tankage removal 
okay? Now, not every customer is going to want to do that, but if we can remove a significant amount of the tanks off of location, we immediately impact the venting, mm. okay, the venting fugitive emissions from those tanks. There's another novel piece to the technology that allows them to still achieve the same type of RVP, read vapor pressure and stabilization through our technology. And what that does is it, it allows them to go directly to sales for mm. their export pipeline, okay? Now, all of this has to be well in advance established and designed in, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, in, in a very early stage. But what we have achieved was the base case for our customer in the Permian Basin. We've achieved over 50% reduction in total emissions. I think it's incumbent upon all of us as an industry, and I don't care what field or play you go drive around in, in South Texas, West Texas, or North Dakota, when you see a bunch of flare stacks flaring in the middle of the night as you're driving on the highway, it's not necessarily a pretty picture, mm-hmm. right? But we've got to figure out a way that we can capture that resource and do something with it. We've got to do that economically where it's not cost prohibitive. And if we can't do that, then how else can we impact what we can control mm-hmm. right away, right? So that's what we've achieved so far. We have a vision of how much further this mm-hmm. can go. And there are individual components on how we're able to achieve those things. And the culmination of it all, the sum of it is, is that we achieved about 55% from the base case on the, on the GHG emissions. Wow. Okay. Can we get into production a little bit? Sure. So from a production standpoint, there's efficiencies. Like, is it possible that somebody who's doing, I'm just making up a number, but let's say 3,000 barrels a day or whatever, Is some part of this, once you kind of execute and get this thing started, what is the efficiency? What effect does it have on production? Does it help people make more money? Yeah, that's a great point. So obviously the asset that they are after, right, is their investment. And that production is really important to get to that oil as fast as possible. So by leaning the design, by reducing the footprint, reducing the amount of construction and installation time, the man hours required to do that, we were able to, and we claim that we are able to achieve 30% cycle time reduction. So 30% faster to first oil, which is a really important deal because that's, that's an asset that you outlay a bunch of cash for. You go and invest mm-hmm. in your drilling process and your completions process and the construction of these facilities. And you want to get your return on that investment as fast as you can, right? And so, yeah, absolutely, that production is super important. When it comes to the decline curves that we're experiencing in North American shale from initial production to six to 12 months later, sometimes half of that initial production, you want to have your facilities right-sized. You don't want to have a bunch of excess underutilized capacity in your production facilities. And so that's another thing that we are working on is modularity. Hmm. How do you, how can you modularly move pieces from one location to the next? And so that when you do experience some of these decline curves and you start to see your capacity and your facilities are going underutilized, how can we move those modules to a new site where we can actually apply that same technology and, and, and not have that capital efficiency or underutilized capacity. Awesome. So I want to get into this turnkey execution model, and I'd like you to like really dive into each of these different components to it. 
On one hand, you have the design of the facility. Yep, the engineering. So e. tell me about that. The E. The E. And then, and then it's going into the scalability and even the quick turn. Right. What's your definition of quick turn? What's your definition of, you know, really scalability? Yeah, so, I mean, we want to be able to have a single design or maybe two per field, per customer, and really what we intend to do is start to have stocking programs where these customers can call us out and in a three to six month time period, we are delivering on those projects, right? So we really do wanna be able to have quick turn, turnkey types of solutions where they're not having to design facilities on a per facility basis. So that's where the engineering comes into effect, that's the E. As far as the P is concerned, the procurement process, we will have a very, or already do have a very robust, very comprehensive global supply chain model, right? So we're not limited to just domestic. While we find that a lot of the things in proficiency can be done right here in Texas, which I find pretty mm-hmm. important domestically, but we, we can definitely go for the more commoditized stuff internationally or globally, right? From a construction piece and an installation piece, we have an aftermarket service arm And so when we execute these projects, we intend to go from not just your design, not just the delivery and the production, the procurement of all of that equipment, the manufacturing of it, but then the actual field delivery, the installation, the startup, and the commissioning, where we turn that facility online for you, Mr. Customer, and now that asset is back to you. And if we can do all of those things, Hmm. if we can achieve all of those things and achieve 25% CapEx reduction and achieve the unmanned operations, and get you to your oil 30% faster, and all the while reducing the carbon footprint, we feel we have a pretty appealing case to be I would say so. Okay, so here's my question. If somebody's listening and they're going like, you know what, I wanna take a go at this, I wanna know what this is all about, what's the process? Yeah, I mean, honestly, just reach out to us, michael.dowdy, technipfmc.com, or LinkedIn, you know, our website is up to date. We've really just engaged in a full-blown marketing campaign with all of this. We have our content on LinkedIn now. We have a brand new link on our, on our website, so you can get more information there. But feel free to contact us, and we can absolutely engage and, and go into detail on it. And then last little thing, which is when somebody does start the process with you, What's the runway? Like, what does it take for them to get this information and really realize that this is what they want to do? We will go as fast as the customer wants to go. We are absolutely about their experience. We have a full staff ready to, ready to rock and roll. And so I am having customer meetings. It's kind of ironic, but even in this market, I'm having customer meetings daily. And, you know, I had, had one yesterday, have two more on Monday. So it's gaining a lot of traction, a lot of momentum within the marketplace. And I think this disruptive type of solution, it's really going to resonate with the customers. Well, Michael Dowdy, thank you. Thank you for thank you. making it here. Appreciate it. You know, being our guest on the Oil and Gas Pitch podcast is, is something to where, you know, I started off, you know, we don't really know what we're guessing and what we're assuming. And right. when you get to take a dive like this, it's like, I want to say there's no doubt that I can see the impact that this would make. And I thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Really appreciate the opportunity. If your company has a real solution to a real problem of today, come prove it on the Oil & Gas Pitch podcast. I'm your host, Warren Spiewak, and I will see you on our next episode. Peace out. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Check us out next week for another witty and sometimes spicy episode of the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.